Hello and welcome to Code Completion Episode 2. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code on this brand new show. My name is Dimitri Bunyol and I'll be your host once again for this episode. And I'm joined by my fellow completionist, Ben Golke. Hi there. Uh, but we also are joined by two more uh, who simply couldn't make it last week, Fernando Olivares. Hello, hello. And Johnny Hicks. Hey, everyone. So first off, Johnny, can you tell us a bit about your process when it comes to finding your niche? Yeah, so uh, the reason I wanted to bring this topic up is I was, I was talking to a very junior developer uh, yesterday, and he's going through a boot camp right now, and had had asked me like as soon as I finish the core curriculum am I am I like ready to start applying for jobs like you know do I need to wait and do like computer science principles um, kind of what's what should be the direction I should go in and and it's a really good question because I you know a lot of people think oh well if I've got like the core concepts down I'm ready to to apply for jobs right like it means I'm an iOS developer um, but but one thing that I think is important to think about. Uh, as you're as you're applying for jobs, is what what exactly do you want to be doing? I mean, being a programmer is can be a lot of different things, right? You could be working on game applications. You could be working on text editor applications. You could be working on AR games. Um, and I think until you can until you know exactly what it is you want to be doing, I would I'd be a little bit wary of um, of actually like going and applying for jobs just with sort of your your fundamentals set up. Um, and so, so this, this discussion that I had with, uh, this, this, uh, this junior developer, um, was more about, well, what, what do you want to be doing? And, and I related my experience. So I'm, I'm an engineer at day one journal. And when I was going through my boot camp and learning how to, to program, I knew where I wanted to work, right? I knew I wanted to work at day one. I knew that that was a potential opportunity for me. And so, in my head, as far as what what should I be doing now in order to to work at day one, I thought, well, maybe I should work on an application that would use similar technologies to day one, right? So, so I went and I built this app. It's it's called Noteworthy. It was it was sort of a kind of a dumbed down version of day one, but kind of like a personal timeline that allowed you to insert like photos and videos and just a small amount of text to sort of label label that day. So think of an Instagram, but kind of like a private Instagram. And I did that because I knew that going into, into my interviews at day one, uh, I knew that I had something to show them. And, um, you know, more importantly than like, oh, I've learned all these things. I had something to show them that were related to the technologies that they're using, right? Like being able to use photos and videos and being able to insert text and having, you know, a swipeable table view, blah, blah, blah. And, and so that's what I'd recommend to everyone is decide where you want to go. Do you want to go to Nike? Do you want to be working on fitness apps? Well, then maybe you should start building some fitness apps so that you have something to show for it when you go. Uh, you can talk about how you've worked with HealthKit or how you've worked with the other APIs that are involved with, you know, health applications. Same thing if, if you're looking and you really want to work somewhere that, that does heavy AR, um, you know, build some apps that you're actually using AR so that when you go in to your interviews, you can say, hey, like, yeah, I have tons of experience with AR kits and I guess whatever other APIs would, would be important. I'm, I'm not really in the AR sphere very much, but, um, but that's what I, what I would recommend to, to all developers that are sort of trying to choose their path is having a general knowledge is good, but figure out what you're passionate about um, and what you want to be doing, pick a few companies that you want to work for, and then start building apps using the technologies that you would expect those companies to use. I, I think it's, it's interesting, right? Um, totally, I, I totally get where, where you're coming from, John, Johnny, and, and I think the advice you gave is super, super useful. I, I think one people, uh, something people forget is that when you talk about a, a web developer, uh, the amount of technology that they can learn, the stacks are so immense 
you can be a JavaScript developer, a Node developer, a front-end, a back-end, there's Ruby, there's a thousand things. And if you think about an iOS developer, there's this misconception that there's like, like we're a monolith because of Apple, right? You're in the Apple ecosystem, so you only do this. But it's, it, it, it's exactly like you said, if I, like within, I have zero knowledge of AR, zero. Uh, so if I wanted to apply to AR jobs, I would be as useless as a Ruby developer applying uh, for a JavaScript position, right? So I, I think you're totally, totally right there. And that's another thing, though, that uh, Apple frameworks kind of provide Apple developers is they are all written in a very cognizant way where once you do learn about one and the next and the one that follows that, the next one is not too difficult to pick up. Uh, in terms of learning Apple's API and their style and how to put an app together using those. Oftentimes, the frameworks will plug into each other. For example, you brought up AR. That fits right into AV Foundation and Vision, um, and they all kind of plug in and interact um, in key ways. Uh, so there's that aspect to think about. But also, like as you brought up, Johnny, um, being good at one particular task and oftentimes being really good at that one particular task can really set you apart no matter what your skill level is because you can be a senior iOS developer and know absolutely nothing about uh, key parts of um, very in-depth uh, pieces of technology. So knowing, uh, knowing a lot about that can put you and set you apart even as a junior from other seniors because you happened to play around with all that, so you happen to know a lot about it. Now, of course, a senior could quote-unquote catch up to you, but that's less of a concern because you already got there. So you have that opportunity for that that uh, job if that's what you're going for. People uh, very much underestimate the sort of breadth of what's available on iOS. And Fernando, what you said about kind of people assume that iOS is, an, is a monolith, right? And therefore... You are an iOS developer. You know everything there is to know about iOS as a platform and how to use it and how to build apps for it. And really, it's more like um, you know using JavaScript to build front end applications versus back end versus you know I mean it's it's just a language and it's just a set of tools. But as far as the the things you that you apply it to, right? There's essentially an infinite amount. And even if we if we don't consider the domain of the app that we're building, but we actually just consider the technology that you use to build it, even if that is a limiting factor, there are so many, there's literally thousands and thousands of frameworks and libraries in iOS, and there's no way that any one developer could know all of, you know, intimately know all of those different things and be sort of equally good at all of them, you know, building apps using them. Um, so, like, for example, uh, a, a couple jobs ago, I started working in the VPN space, a space that I had, I had used VPNs before as a user, but I had no experience at all with building VPN applications on iOS. I didn't, I mean, I sort of basically knew that there was support for it, but I didn't really even understand that there was a full framework and that you can use that framework to hook into your iOS app to build, to sort of take over the internet connection of your iPhone and, and be able to have this VPN connection. I didn't know that was even sort of there. Um, and I had been doing iOS for what, seven years, eight years by then, and it wasn't even clear to me that that was possible necessarily, so or that was that it was there. So I think it's very um, it's very easy as a junior in particular to be overwhelmed by like, holy crap, there's so many things here. There's so many different things that I need to understand. And I, in order to be a good iOS developer, I need to know them all. And I think the the key takeaway here is like none of us know them all, right? Like none of us are are that much of a, a sort of an iOS polyglot, if that's even a term that I could use, uh, in the sense that we know all the different frameworks and how and how they're utilized. Pick something, go with it, and then uh, after a while, you'll probably end up getting a different job, and it may very well be touching a completely different part of the iOS ecosystem. And that's for me kind of the fun that I've had as being an iOS developer is that even though I am in one sort of stack. I still have a ton of different options to, to play with. Mm -hmm. And that that's an interesting point that you bring up that uh, having a special like that is, is something that you do get on the job. So even if you don't have any particular specialty, once you start working somewhere, they're going to have very unique requirements that no one, nowhere else is necessarily going to have. So you might learn about all sorts of technologies that are not iOS specific either, um, but you can build on them uh, and uh, slowly 
like expand the realm of knowledge yep. that you do know uh, and that you uh, can be an expert in. Um, and the best part about that is when you go to the next job that's completely different, uh, you can go ahead and apply the lessons that you've learned from those different things in new ways that people weren't necessarily um, like expecting right away. So one of the one of the big tenets of being developers, there are all sorts of patterns that you need to stick to. Uh, but kind of dipping your toes in many different specialties exposes you to as many different patterns as possible. And that's how you can really uh, go ahead and use them in different ways uh, to your benefit. Sure. So, uh, Fernando, uh, I heard you had some uh, comments to add to our App Store discussion from last week. Uh, notably regarding the most recent news that uh, just broke yesterday. Do you want to take it away? Have an Boy, do I have. <laughs> the whole Epic thing. Uh, so the whole Epic thing is really, really interesting because I I will be honest. I, I think I've, I've told you guys before, but I joined iOS because it's magical. We've all seen it. Like these... Uh, these younger generations, they take it for granted. But my, like having an iPhone in your hands and just playing around with it, it's just magical. So all I'm trying to say is that I drank the Kool-Aid when I joined. Like if, if there is a cult, which there isn't, but if there is an Apple cult, I was a part of it from the beginning. And over the years, as an, as a, as an iOS developer, I've become a little bit more uh, maybe jaded. I don't know if that's the right word. Uh, because Apple has been transforming itself from an up-and-comer who hit it out of the park with the iPod to just this gigantic, like, how can I, how can I, like, they've become aggressive, when, whereas before it was on self-defense. And I think this whole App Store thing, the antitrust hearings, the epic battle, I think it's just really interesting from many points of view. Um, the 30% being obnoxiously high, uh, them creating a platform uh, for a billion devices and yet they're not a monopoly. There's a lot of angles to talk about, but I wanted to talk specifically about uh, the fact that I think, I wanted, wanted your, your take on this, but the more I think about it, the more interesting it seems to me comparing the App Store to an actual ISP in the sense that Apple is providing a service of, of sending information, right, through the pipes. The App Store has become a dumb, trustworthy pipe because anyone can join the end, anyone can just download stuff. But then Apple gets 30% of your stuff, which, okay, that's fine, you're, you're giving me the pipes. But then they also get interesting information about how many downloads uh, you're getting, uh, and they can compare across uh, categories, and you would be uh, naive to think they're not doing it. So what I'm worried about, about this whole Epic versus Apple thing, is that we're going to go into the next level of Sherlocking. Whereas before it was like, oh, that's a nice app that the huge blob can absorb, but now it's just going to be absorbing bigger and bigger apps. And I think that's not good for anyone. So anyway, what, what's your take on that? So I often wonder if it will end up in a situation where Apple just Sherlock's um, other apps that are there because oftentimes Apple is, is spread so thin, they don't have extra engineers to work on any extra project that if anything, they will just buy out a project to incorporate it into into their own space. And that's what Apple has been doing. Um, like, take Shortcuts, for instance. That was just a small team of people. Take Dark Sky. Um, they wanted that feature. So rather than bother building it themselves, uh, they just bought the people um, and brought them on board to go ahead and continue working, doing exactly what they were doing just from within Apple. So... From the point of view of like Sherlocking, I I, do, I wouldn't say I'm very worried. Um, I, I don't I don't know. Regardless, if I mean, I 
I, I understand your point, but isn't that like sort of like a cop out in the sense that they bought Dark Sky and so now they're going to have like a well, they used to have a weather app already. Well, they do have a weather app already, but they they're going to have a huge participation in the weather API uh, business now, right? And it's going to become first party, and the competition is not going to be fair because the now absorbed Dark Sky app will be able to do things that you, as a third party weather app, will not be able to do. I think that's what I'm worried about. Not not them building it from the ground up. But it's like, oh, I'm just going to acquire it. And then this one and this one and bigger and bigger. Like, I don't think that's good for anyone, not even Apple. I guess I can see it from the other point of view where now there's a potential that Apple could have a framework for weather that any developer on Apple's platforms could benefit from. And that's kind of how they will say this platform is a better platform because you don't have to pay a third party for the weather information. Now, Dark Sky it was using publicly available information to build up its API. They just had the know-it, the know-it-all to put that together and make an API that others can consume easily uh, rather than getting it from like weather.com or Yahoo Weather, which is what Apple was using up until now. So uh, all they bought really was a digestion of the already public information. It's not like they bought all the satellites that get the weather data that prevent other people from getting weather, you know? Um, now, that's not to say that's not the case for, like, maps, but they turn maps into such a wonderful framework that you can go ahead and build on top of. Now, once they stop keeping up with that and stop making available those uh, pieces that allow you to build apps that are similar in vain to maps, that's when I would start getting worried, I would think. Um, but, Ben, what, what are your thoughts on this? I see you nodding a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, as far as like weather in particular, right, I'm working on a personal app that involves a weather API. Um, I'm using the AccuWeather API uh, to do it. Um, I was maybe going to use Dark Sky, but then they got acquired. So I do actually have an API key, but it's only going to be around for, I think it goes dark, no pun intended, next year sometime. <laughs> um, so I didn't want to I didn't want to sort of sign up for that guaranteed tech debt of having to then switch over either to, you know, the mythical weather kit that might come out. Um, that Apple probably will build, uh, or you know maybe they just—it's just not available at all anymore. Regardless, I'd have to make changes, and so I decided not to do that. Um, something that I did discover with learning about weather APIs is that they have very different um, designs and very different like algorithms for how they decide things. So, as an example of of uh, maybe this not being—if we're talking about dark sky in particular, right? Maybe this not being as scary as it might as you might think is that Dark Sky is really good about is it about to rain where I live right they they have really good models mm-hmm. and they do a really good job of tracking that part um, general forecasting I found them to be not nearly as good um, and then like for example AccuWeather better at general forecasting pretty terrible at telling you whether or not it's going to rain in the next ten minutes so they have these different companies and different APIs and different data sets have different strengths and different weaknesses. Um, and so, for example, if a myth- mythical weather kit were to exist that's based on the start- dark sky technology, um, I, depending on the kind of weather data that I wanted or needed in my app, that might, may or may not be a good fit for what I need to build. So while it is true that something like weather kit would be cool and, and it certainly would empower um, developers to be able to use um, data that they might otherwise have to pay for. For example, you can do like geocoding lookup and stuff using uh, the core location APIs. You don't actually have to call out to something and pay an external API to do that. Um, and those things are producing network calls, right? So it, it is actually incurring real bandwidth costs, but Apple's just absorbing it. They're just letting you have it for free. Uh, so I would imagine, I'm just making this up, but I would imagine that a weather kit might be something kind of similar where it basically it's simple data, it's free, it's just built into the into into app into iOS, and you can use it, you know, however you like. But it is limited in what it gives you, and so if you're building something that is more complex or whatever, you're going to have to seek out additional outside tools. So, I I do understand what you're saying, Fernando, and I do agree with you that it is that that this sort of coalescing of power. I mean, Apple is almost at two trillion dollars of market cap, mm-hmm. it makes them the largest company in the history of the world. Um, they recently surpassed. Saudi Aramco, I think is what it's called. It's the Saudi yeah. Arabian government's oil company um, in, in sort of size. Uh, and so that is scary, right? That is, that is 
we're talking, uh, you know, a, an unprecedented amount. I mean, they could just spend hundreds of billions of dollars and like not even break a sweat, right? If they wanted to, they yep. could just go out and just like just completely trounce someone if they if they wanted to. Um, so it is it is scary. It's something to keep in mind. It is something to keep an eye on. Um, but I do think that while their tools are great, and I and I feel like there could be a coalescing, right? Which a coalescing usually leads to inaction and and uh, and a lack of innovation and sort of a laziness on mm-hmm. the part of the provider. Um, look at TestFlight, for example, right? Like TestFlight was amazing. Apple bought it. It was amazing, yeah. but but limited because it was out external. It became mm-hmm. internal. It was great, and it has stayed like fine, right? It's it's pretty good. Um, not but great, it, but yep. it could be amazing, right? And it's not. And I think in part that's because Apple is like, well, now we own it, and it's our thing, and it's the thing that we want you to use, and it's kind of the only thing that works the way that it works. So we're just going to kind of uh, you know let it be what it is, and you just have to take it or leave it, right? So that that is the that is the downside. That's the danger of this is is really complacency, I think, over anything else, and then I... crappy tools, crappy products, crappy offerings. I think I think it, it's even more dangerous than that, to be honest. Because we, uh, my an anecdote about the Kool Aid is because we inherently trust Apple, yeah. and they've been selling it pretty well. Not just the privacy aspect, but mm-hmm. you trust them, right? Uh, I, like my livelihood literally depends on them, so I have yeah. to trust them. Right. So, but but the point here is that there is no transparency as to certain decisions uh, regarding the App Store, and so. What is to, I, I have no guarantees that I push my, my weather app, even if, if I use the weather API, Apple sees uh, that I am, uh, senses a threat, senses that I am a good competitor, tries to buy me out, I say no, and then they just cut access to the app store because I violate one of the guidelines, right? right? And there's no recourse for me other than going through them, and they are right. 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 So that's why with the whole hey uh, email thing and yeah. with the whole epic drama, it's epic. I really, really like how they approach this problem where they're moving towards the public opinion yeah. because there's really nothing else they can do. If right. Apple says your app is no go, it is just a no go. So, so to, that is the actual danger I'm worried about. To, to ask you a follow-up question and feel free, any of you to jump in, but um, what do you think we should as a as a globe, right? What should we do about that? Because for example, um, uh, you know, not, not to become a political podcast and we're not going to, um, but as it pertains to technology, Donald Trump, the president of the United States has signed an executive order that is going to limit or outright ban U S involvement with Chinese, uh, uh, manage and own companies. So for example, Tencent, which owns Epic, among other things, um, and then also the company that I'm forgetting their name, but the company that Byte Byte Dance, that company that owns TikTok, um, mm-hmm. are both Chinese-backed companies, um, and so they potentially will be off the App Store, at least in the United States. The, you know, there's all kinds of issues here, um, and uh, and WeChat, a an app that is ostensibly just an instant message client, but if you look into it, is actually like an entire ecosystem of modern commerce for the Chinese citizen. Um, is potentially going to get banned in some at least limited capacity. And a bunch of companies have come to the administration and said, people like Disney, Apple, and have said, if you continue with this order and you actually ban WeChat, nine, there was a poll that said 95% of Chinese citizens will drop the iPhone. They'll be like, nope, yep. WeChat is yep. way more important I to saw us that. than the iPhone is. We're done. And then you've basically you know, through your attempt to like, I don't know, have some kind of trade standoff, you end up ruining a bunch of American companies for, you know, a whole bunch of of reasons. So my point with saying all that basically is like, I don't trust the government to get this right. Um, So if I agree, government and it's not Apple, like, how do we solve it? I I think this is sort of similar to Microsoft in the 90s. Um, They're I, I think saying monopoly is the wrong way. It's yeah. anti-competitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, the issue with Internet Explorer wasn't that it was everywhere. You get to be everywhere if you if you get to be everywhere. The issue was that they were anti-competitive. They were they had an unfair advantage. So I think I I mean I haven't really thought about this too much, but really having the App Store as an ISP that would quote unquote solve a lot of the issues. Like you don't get to be 
both the referee and the player in your own game. Yeah, yes, you built it, so you keep the 30%. That's insanely high, but whatever, you built it. But you don't get to play both parts. So if the government or Apple decides to do something like that, I could see a lot of the pressure being relieved in the sense that, all right, you know what? All apps play the same way, and it'll be very, very quick. You'll see it very, very quickly. Like yeah. getting Chrome, uh, the Chromium engine into iOS, that would be very, very interesting. So there's a lot of things that you could do if you treat the App Store as just dumb pipes. Yeah. So I don't know. I, it's just an idea because it's a very complex subject for sure. And one thing to add to is to really think about what Apple's motivations are. Apple's motivations aren't to steal ideas, which is not to say that's the same for other companies. Um, like Apple just wants the iPhone to be the best thing it can be. The reason why there's no Chromium on iOS is because, let's face it, it would tank iPhone batteries and then Apple's going to have to be the one to respond to that. Not Google for shipping Chromium because people are not going to understand how things work. The fact that we can allow a third-party uh, purchasing through the App Store, like we might think, oh, that's a good thing, but look at Epic. They're juicing money off of children for the most part and they're trying to make it seem like they're saving 20% when Epic makes more money off of that transaction. And it's no longer through the ecosystem that parents might have come to trust. So I, I see tremendous benefit in having systems like an app purchase being mandated for everything on the App Store because it's something that I know is not going to be baloney when I, I put money into it and because at the very least, someone at Apple looked at it. Like there's that that very least human element to it that I don't have to go on a random website and be like, hmm, should I trust this random store on the internet and then do a whole bunch of extra research on it? I don't I don't have to do that mental processing. And I think that's what Apple is very protective of um, for the iPhone and for their ecosystem entirely. Now, it's not to say that they're doing everything right because they're doing a pretty bad job at it. Um, but, uh, like, I, I, I can't say I can't understand their point of view, um, which makes it even more difficult to say what the right thing to do is. Because if there is an alt store and there is ways to do third-party uh, payment processing, like, that's just going to make things more of a mess. We're going to say, yay, there's more options, but is that always better? So I, I disagree in that the, the one thing I disagree with uh, it, about everything you said, because everything you said is correct. But the one thing I disagree is the fact that they are not mutually exclusive choices. Uh, Epic is passing on the savings to customers. Like that, that is real. They like you used to pay $10 for an item, you pay $8 for it now. So it is a true savings. And yes, of course that uh, Safari is more efficient than Chromium. Uh, so, that's why it's not allowed, but it's also competition, right? They are not allowing competition into their own uh, their own turf. And in, and the other thing is, uh, yeah, of course, someone has checked at least that the subscription is there and that it has illegal notices, but you can still find apps where you get a $50 subscription per week, right? So... There's, there's all of these things that, that what you said is true, but, but there are other things that are also true, like the internet. If, you, like, if you're a brand new app and you go out to the app store, having people find you is obscenely difficult, right? Unless you get, like, we all dream and we all want for an editorial, for a, like, something that showcases your app in front of a thousand, like, a billion devices. But you're not going to get that most of the time. So what's the difference between me sideloading an app like we've done with the Mac? And I know for a fact that a lot of developers have made a decent living and built bigger companies on the Mac just by sideloading. For decades, they've done that. Just having the app store. Not even recently, mm -hmm. but yeah, for decades. So, yeah, for decades. So we can absolutely keep the app store as it is. Like, that is trustworthy. I like it. I think it's true. I would never send my my mom or dad to just go to this website unless I'd done the research, which takes time, just like you said. Uh, but we could have both. We already 
we've already proven that they work because the Mac and, is not Windows. And on the sideloading thing, um, like on the Mac, you can put a ton of garbage in by quote unquote sideloading. Uh, that can steal all sorts of information. So I don't buy the argument that, oh, just allowing sideloading is a great uh, thing because then you go clean up your uh, parents' computer and you realize all the sideloading they've done in between. Um, now, Epic did have sideloading on Android, but they still wanted to go into the Google Play Store because, like, per their argument, the sideloading was not good enough. Yeah. It had scary dialogues like, you need to allow Chrome to download software. That was the dialogue that they claim is scary. Now imagine what it would be on iOS. Like we see the scary dialogues that Apple <laughs> yes. has on the Mac. It's like this this software will damage your computer uh, if it's not notarized. Mm -hmm. um, so those are like actual scary dialogues, but the, and they actively prevent you from doing it if you don't know the secret secret shortcut of right clicking. You know, so uh, I don't think side loading is necessarily going to make things better for developers. Um, and that's that's what kind of makes this this whole thing extra well, difficult. I think it's, it, it doesn't work, yeah. right? Like if you look at the, Android has allowed sideloading, I think forever since they launched as a platform. And how many, if you were to walk up to a random Android user anywhere in the world, how many of them do you think would, would understand what you're saying when you say you can install software outside of the Google store? They're going to have no, for the most part, no idea what you're talking about. Obviously there's going to be significant pockets of people who do, but um, but kind of by and large, I think that the sideloading experiment on Android hasn't really been much of a success. Uh, maybe that is in part due to the fact that on Android, people seem to be less like less likely to want to spend money on software. I I don't know, um, but uh, I I think we we are we are as a developer community, we are doing two things. We are assuming a level of understanding and tech savviness from our customers that probably doesn't actually exist. Um, and a level of like sophisticated taste on knowing what is good and what is bad and being able to discern that for themselves. And then two, we are also um, very much undervaluing the amount of uh, benefit that we are getting from the App Store in the, in, the, in the state that it is in now. The fact that it is effectively a monopoly and that the only way to get apps on your phone is to go through the App Store, um, I think – there is value there that that we immediately discount as like I don't want to pay thirty percent. It's only three percent to get credit cards processed. What's the other twenty seven percent for? You know, so I don't know that thirty percent is the right number, but I do think that as a community, we are both like in our own bubble as far as tech understanding, and we like we overestimate the amount of understanding other people have about it, and then we underestimate the value of what we're getting from the app store. But I but I do. Sort of, I think I do agree generally, like with the sentiment that that uh, Apple does a lot of crappy things with their with their store and and with their kind of they they kind of bully people for no for either on purpose or I think most of the time by accident. Um, you know, we talked about this. Uh, I don't remember if it was actually on this real stream or if it was a practice stream, but we talked about a poor Mac developer who got their entire developer account shut down, and it was completely just a mistake it was literally like just a mistake in the system that they it accidentally got turned off but the consequence from that is they turned it back on he had to complain they turned it back on but then all the apps that were installed on people's macs were then reporting whenever they would open them that the software is is damaged and will damage yeah. the computer yep. and it like yep. has i'm sure caused a, like irrevocable reputation damage to that to that guy's um, apps for among regular users because they're going to like suddenly I'm using the app and it's telling me that it's damaging my computer like that's <laughs> that's a problem and and it's just a clerical error on Apple's part right so so they whether it's by accident or on purpose they they do I think need to definitely do better if nothing else on kind of how they treat that whole ecosystem and and be careful about what they do and how they do it because it's yeah. it's can literally ruin a entire company like it can ruin a whole business right like overnight agreed in the end really uh we could talk about yeah. this forever <laughs> uh but to be honest the all of us uh, are just passionate yeah. about this we are like i said with the kool-aid like we not only do i owe my livelihood to apple i we look up yeah. to it like Yes, the like I I want to believe them on the privacy and on everything. So it's just like all of these comes out of a passion for them to do the right thing, 
because they have been telling us that they want to do the right thing. So I think we're all, we're all very grateful for what they've provided. It's just the voices that we want uh, to raise are that, hey, please be the company that we want right. you to be. Don't be right. Google. Because, yes. well, <laughs> very well said. don't be you anyway. <laughs> Okay, this week's episode of Code Completion is brought to you by an iMessage app for your iPhone that makes it easy to send your friends and family passwords, notes, documents, and other confidential information they just don't want sticking around longer than it needs to. Are your parents asking for your Apple ID password yet again to log into iTunes on their Apple TV? Send them a Misigo Secure message. Misigo Secure messages are encrypted using AES-256 before being sent, and only the recipient will receive the key to decrypt them securely through iMessage. The catch? Once they decrypt the message, they won't be able to see it again once it's closed, making sure that what you sent them can't be seen a second time. Mystico is available in both pay-per-use and as an auto-renewing subscription, so you only need to pay for what you use, depending on how you use it, and comes with 10 free messages so you can give it a try. We want to thank Mystico for sponsoring our show. Search for Mystico, that's M-Y-S-T-I-K-O, on the iMessage app store to give it a try. So do we go back to that topic? Because that is an amazing feature that I would love for Apple to, to just steal. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Please Implement in iMessages. <laughs> nice. Okay. Now that we've gone through our topics, it's time for Complete the Code, where uh, we quiz our listeners on your knowledge of Swift, Apple, and all things development. Ben, can you take it away? Sure. So uh, for this segment this week, we've got a new prompt for you to check out, a new question. But before we get to that, we're going to take a look at last week's solution. Um, so if you are watching the stream or if you're going to watch the YouTube video later, if you look right on your screen, you'll see in the upper right corner, we've got last week's solution. The problem was a double nested for loop that had an if statement conditional inside of it. And we were trying to figure out how to get that if statement conditional to uh, skip to the next row um, if we if that you know triggered and it was true. So um, it was true that it was a continue, but you needed to add a label um, so that it would continue at a particular spot. So if you look at the solution, you can see in the four row in rows, that outer for loop, we've got the skip label there at the top. And then where it says continue skip, we're saying specifically, I want you to continue uh, at that label. So it basically goes to the, very, the next row in the sequence. So that is the solution. Um, as far as the winners, um, let me pull that up. I was supposed to have that pulled up just now, but I didn't get it. Let me do that real quick. Um, as far as the winner and the shout out goes, let's see. Yeah, I definitely don't have it. Dimitri, do you have that pulled up to give a shout out to the winners? Few people that uh, wrote in. Uh, Chad was very enthusiastic and wrote in twice. Uh, that it is simply a continue, but it is unfortunately a bit more than that and just alluded to. Uh, Nick was the next closest one, uh, and they suggested uh, to use a skip um, or a label um, so that way you can go directly to the loop that you're interested in, but they suggested it with a break, which is also not uh, quite there. Um, but we did get the correct answer, and Frank wrote in with the solution that Ben uh, placed on screen. Awesome. So uh, for this week's prompt, we've got, uh, if, again, if you look on the screen, and if you're listening to the audio version of this, the podcast, um, we'll have this as both ch the chapter art. So if your podcast player supports um, chapter art, you can look there, or it'll be in the show notes. So feel free to look there for the prompt, because it's a little bit hard to do when you, all you can do is hear it. Um, so this for this week's prompt, uh, we're going to take a look at this person struct. Given a struct named person with two properties, um, name of type string and age of type double, we have the following code. So after that struct, we've got some code that says let person uh, equal a function called ask for person that produces a person object. And after that, we've got an NSLog statement that takes the person and prints out the name and then prints out that person's age. Um, and in that code, we've got uh, string interpolation and a little bit of uh, string formatting to get both the name and the age printed. So among all of that code, there is a mistake in here. Um, and the prompt for you, the question for you is, where's the mistake and specifically what is it? Um, so we will go over that next week, look for that next week in, in next week's episode, and then we'll have a brand new prompt for you.
sure to tweet your answers with hashtag complete the code so that way you can get a shout out with your name. And if you have quizzes, please feed them to us so that way we can uh, we can have something that is not our full time job that we're just slowly asking you. Uh, can you find our bug? Uh, here is a hundred lines. Um, I'm not too sure where to start. Yeah, it'll, <laughs> this will just become our own personal Stack Overflow. So please send in your prompts. <laughs> okay, so with all of that out of the way, it's time for compiler error, a segment where I get to test my fellow completionists' knowledge about Swift Apple and all things development. So let me recap the rules. Um, I'll read out some statements, most of which are factual or valid code completions, if you will, while only one of them is an outright made-up lie, aka the compiler error. The best part, it's up to each of you to use your master debugging techniques to determine which one is the compiler error. So let me go ahead and share my screen so that way you can all see the prompts. So we do have a theme. We do have a theme this week, uh, and that is obscure Apple products. Uh, so I'm going to read each of the prompts, and then I'll call on one of you to start are deliberating as to which one is a compiler error. So number one, a key player in pioneering the digital publishing space, Apple made several printer models in the 80s and 90s, such as the popular image writer and laser writer. But they also made the Apple 410 color plotter, a printer that used a stylus along with a selection of inks to literally draw shapes and text on the page. Statement number two, available for sale just for just a couple of years, iPod socks were a series of pouches for iPods woven like socks and came as a package with six colors, gray, orange, pink, blue, green, and purple. For a limited time, they were also available in human sizes at the Apple Company Store in Cupertino. Statement number three. Known now as a feature that allows videos to be quickly taken by pressing and holding the shutter button on modern iPhones, the Apple Quick Take was a line of video cameras that could be used tethered to a Mac or on the go thanks to AA batteries. Statement number four. Released in 2006, the iPod radio button, uh, sorry, the iPod radio remote was an attachment for then new iPods that was shaped like a then unreleased clip style iPod shuffle that allowed compatible iPod users to use their iPods as an FM radio tuner. Go ahead and start with you, Ben, since you know how this works already. All right. so. I'm uh, taking a look at the prompt because there's a lot of text there. Um, and again, if you're listening to the podcast, we'll have it as chapter art and also in the show notes. So check it out there. Um, so the first one, key player in this published space. I do know that they definitely made printers, and I believe they even had laser printers. Um, I can believe that the color plotter was the thing that they built because it sounds very like niche and kind of right up Apple's alley for something that is maybe not super widely applicable to you know the masses but is still something that probably somebody at apple wanted to build and just got permission to do so so i can believe that that would be the case i i don't think they did though um the ipod socks i know were a thing and i can also totally believe that they made special socks that they only sold at the apple company store because that's exactly the kind of thing to do uh (laughs) i do know that uh quick take was a popular camera um don't know if it did video though you sometimes dimitri puts in little tiny things that make it wrong i was gonna say i'm pretty sure that was only a photo it was a digital photo camera i don't think that it took video uh and then the ipod radio remote um i'm almost positive they did release such a product uh whether it looked exactly like the clip style ipod shuffle i'm not sure but um so now i'm kind of torn i feel like the color plotter or the quick take could be the wrong one I'm just going to go with my gut, though, and say number one, that, that they did not actually make a color plotter. Uh, and so number one is my, my lie. Awesome. So let's go with Fernando next. When was the Newton released? Can we help, or is this like a one person? Uh, no, oh, wait. I, yeah, yeah. What's, you're what's turning it over. All right. All right. <laughs> you're on your okay, own. It's all you, Fernando. What, I'm on, yep, I'm on my own? You. Well, yep. what if I just very slowly type into <laughs> Google, or is that cheating? And that would definitely be cheating. Oh, okay. I won't. I won't do it. Uh, I was gonna. I was gonna do it because before you explain the rules. Anyway, <laughs> uh, honestly, I'm. I'm basically in the same boat as Ben. I, uh, number one, like I can't believe that the, that they. Uh, I don't know. It just feels like 
the drawing on I don't it's it's stupid enough for Apple in the nineties. Uh before the, the Renaissance, like they just were throwing things at a wall so they, they could stick. Uh, uh these all have like little tiny things, like the writing, I don't believe the I, I put socks, I know we're a thing, but the available in human sizes, I'm like eh, it could be. Like the just like Ben said, the quick take. But video camera with double A batteries, I don't know. And four, I I know four is probably probably a fact. Uh, just so that we make things fun, I'm gonna say number. No, let's not make them fun. Number one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's number one. It's the, the literally drawing shapes that I. No, I okay. Before you go, number three. Is number that three. Your final answer. Final answer. <laughs> yes. Final number answer. Number three. The quick take. Okay. Yes. Okay, Johnny. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure number two. I mean, I've I've heard John Syracuse talk a ton about how much he loves those socks that Apple does <laughs> for his devices. So I'm a, and it doesn't surprise me that they have them in the in the Apple Store. Um. So two is the only one that like I'm pretty positive. Um, number one seems kind of like Fernando says, it seems pretty dumb, but seems like something that Apple would have done uh, in the 80s and 90s because, you know, they were always doing like innovative doing that and being like, look how cool we are. We can, we've got this thing that will draw your shapes and text and blah 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 so i i can i can picture number one um i don't i don't know enough about quick take um i feel like i don't remember an ipod radio remote though um one of the years that i was like getting into like buying my first ipod and i you know went from the ipod mini to the ipod nano and I don't remember there being an iPod radio remote. I could be completely wrong. I mean, I was in high school. Who knows how, like, I wasn't reading the news or seeing everything that Apple was do does. So I'm going to go with number four. Okay. Uh, so let's go ahead and start with number four, since that's the last one on this list. So released in 2006, the iPod radio remote was an attachment for the new iPods. And what it was was a cable that you can plug into your iPod, it would loop around, you can then plug your headphones, um, and it would look like those clip-on uh, iPod shuffles. Um, and none of that is a lie, because that is a code completion, and that is completely true um, that uh, it came out. Now, the iPod, the clip-on iPod shuffle came out later that year, so you must be wondering, like, Apple probably had both in the pipeline, and they're like, well, uh, why don't we make this little thing into an iPod? And that's what they eventually did, I guess. So, uh, continuing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Apple's very good at Sherlocking themselves. They are, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, let's go and continue to number three. Uh, so, known now as a feature that allows you to take videos quickly, uh, the Apple Quick Take was a line of video cameras uh, that could either be tethered to a Mac or use on the go thanks to AA batteries. So, although they are referred to as video cameras, they do only take still uh, photography, uh, but that is completely true because they are called video cameras. <laughs> I just never said anything about them taking that is fair. video. <laughs> I, I agree. I, I went with the yeah. misdirection from Ben. Uh, continuing that, uh, we have number two. Available for sale for just a couple of years, iPod socks were a series of pouches um, that uh, for iPhones, uh, sorry, iPods woven like socks. Um, and Johnny, you were actually right on the nose with this because there was no such thing as human-sized iPod socks sold at the Apple company store. And not only that, they weren't just sold for a couple of years, they were sold for nearly a decade by Apple. So wow. uh, the iPod socks were available, uh, uh, let me see, up to uh, 2009. Uh, so they were available for quite a long time. Uh, so that just leaves uh, number one. So a key player in pioneering digital print publishing space, Apple made several printer models 
including the Apple 410 color plotter, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's a pen that moves around uh, CNC style, and it has several different inks. Uh, and let me go ahead and share a link with all of you because it's it's pretty cool looking, in all honesty. It's uh, just so, silly enough that they would actually make it. <laughs> exactly. Yes. yes. <laughs> Look at that. Huh. Well. All right. Wow, 83 to 88. They sold that for a good long while. Nice. And it was $1,200 yeah. uh, in period money. Yeah, yeah. so a lot That's of money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Apple made a lot of whimsical products uh, leading up to Steve Jobs' return when he essentially canned most of them, I believe, yeah. uh, including the printer line, uh, including the Newton, um, and most of the computers who got yeah. simplified down to the iMac as soon as the iMac came out and the PowerMac. There was the, the famous four-point grid that he made where he had consumer and pro, and he had two models apiece, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Four, four products, and that's it. That's all we're doing. Yeah, mobile and desktop, right. consumer and pro. Right. Uh, so with that said, I want to personally thank everyone for watching live and listening in this week. Uh, we apologize for the audio issues last week, and we hope that the increased quality from uh, this week makes it through. Uh, fingers crossed, because we never know until we start listening afterwards, of course. Um, as always, we'll be streaming every Friday, so be sure to follow us on Twitter at Code Completion to know when new episodes go live and get released. Be sure to also sign up for a monthly newsletter on our website at CodeCompletion.io where we will recap the topics we discussed, reveal answers to complete the code, and share even more things we learned between episodes. Uh, And most importantly, as a new podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. Um, As you've heard so far, we talk about a variety of things, so we hope to keep that variety going so that way you can dip your toes into the more complex things, but also learn about the broader uh, uh, topics as well. Uh, so it's your support that enables us to continue doing this. So please share uh, with anyone who can, uh, and we hope to grow a healthy community around these topics. Uh, so once again, I want to give my thanks uh, to Fernando, who is at from junior to senior. That's F O F R O M J R T O S R on Twitter. Uh, Johnny, who is at Johnny D Hicks. That's J O H N N Y D H I C K S. Uh, and Ben, who is at Ferris Guy, that's F-E-R-R-O-U-S-G-U-Y, uh, for joining me this week. Uh, my name, once again, is Dimitri, and you can find me at Dimitri Bunyol. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. Bye, guys. Thank you. <laughs>